The failure of drug war is glaringly obvious to judges, cops, wardens, prosecutors, and millions more now calling for decriminalization, legalization, the end of prohibition. Let us investigate the century of lies. Hello and welcome to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. The United Nations Commission on Narcotic Drugs held an intercessional meeting October 23rd through 25th. The international drug control mechanism is antiquated, its operations opaque, it's unfit for purpose, and a lot of people around the world are getting very, very tired of it. There were some really strong presentations at this intercessional meeting, and we're going to hear some of that on today's show. But first... As loyal listeners know, the Drug User Liberation Front is the organization up in Canada that's working to develop the concept of safe supply from theory to practice. I've interviewed Dolph's co-founders, Eris Nix and Jeremy Callicum, a few times over the last couple of years. They've saved countless lives at great personal risk. In addition to their monthly distribution events, Dolph has been providing safe supply for 43 people through their shop for months now. On October 25th, police in Vancouver, British Columbia, raided the storefront office of Dolph, also private homes. Eris and Jeremy were reportedly arrested. Individuals and organizations around the world are expressing our outrage at the police actions and showing support for Jeremy and Eris, for Dolph and for Safe Supply. If you want to learn more about Dolph and how you can help support their efforts, go to the website dolf.ca. That's D-U-L-F dot C-A. You can also find current news articles and links to support Dolf at my Twitter. I'm at Doug McVeigh. I'll be following this story closely, so keep tuning in. Turning now to the U.N. Commission on Narcotic Drugs. The CND is holding a set of intercessional meetings to review the progress, or rather the lack of progress, being made to, quote, address the challenges identified in the 2019 ministerial declaration, end quote. It's 11 challenges in all. The October meeting, three days, six topics, then another set of meetings coming up December 4th through 6th, three days, five topics, the last day devoted to talking about a way forward. I've been following the CND for more than two decades now. Normally, the CND bends over backward to achieve consensus, which means authoritarian nations have been able to dig in their heels to prevent any real progress, stifling discussions and forcing the watering down of language in any resolution or statement. Now, that's been changing in the last few years, as democratic nations have begun speaking out more and more on human rights, and nations from the Global South in particular have begun advocating for indigenous rights and decolonization. That trend continued with this meeting. Let's hear some audio, starting with this from the first day. The next voice you hear will be that of the chair of the CND, His Excellency Miguel Camillo Ruiz Blanco of Colombia. He introduces the Swiss delegate. Thank Mr. Tufik and Mr. Brandolino for their in, insightful interventions, which have undoubtedly uh, set the stage for the next three days. Now, I will, um, despite the fact that there is no room, there was no uh, um, planning for having any kind of interventions at this moment, I recognize that Switzerland is asking for the floor. You have the floor, Ambassador. Thank you, Mr. Chair, esteemed, uh, esteemed colleagues. I have the honor to deliver this statement on behalf of the following 47 member states, namely Albania, Argentina, Australia, Bolivia, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, 
the European Union and its 27 member states, Honduras, Iceland, Mexico, Moldova, Norway, New Zealand, San Marino, Switzerland, United Kingdom, Ukraine, Uruguay, and United States. This group of member states would like to convey the following key messages in relation to the thematic discussions and the forthcoming 2024 midterm review. Mr. Chair, we are witnessing the continued suffering by the illicit use of drugs. The number of people who suffer from drug, or drug use disorders today has skyrocketed to 39.5 million, a 45% increase in the last 10 years. Drug use disorders are multifactual health disorders. As such, they can only be addressed effectively through treatment, health care, and social protection offered in the context of a health system as any other health disorder. Evidence-based and voluntary treatment of drug use disorders is effective in decreasing not only the illicit drug use, but also crime and recidivism. Evidence-based voluntary treatment is more cost-effective than either no treatment or prison. At the same time, alongside the damage caused by other, drug other drugs, synthetic drugs have rapidly and radically transformed the illicit drug market, allowing their relentless spread, which has killed hundreds of thousands of people. Despite the multitude of individual and collective efforts that member states have been undertaking for decades, there is still a long road ahead. Moreover, illicit drug manufacturing, trafficking and use is contributing to sky-high rates of violence around the world. The profits of organized crime groups continue to soar, fueling prolonging conflicts and generating social and economic costs, thwarting our efforts to achieve the sustainable development goals, including goal number three and number 16. Mr. Chair, now as we come together to take, talk, to, to take stock of the progress made in implementing all international drug policy commitments, let us work together to pursue a more balanced, human and effective drug response, putting people first. We firmly believe and advocate for more balanced and evidence-based drug policies that protect and promote human rights in accordance with the INCB's call for member states to place human rights at the center of their drug po uh, control policies. We also welcome the report recently released by the UN High Commissioner on Human Rights on human rights in drug policy as a tool for further discussion. We are convinced that under the current international context, the rights to highest attainable standards of health applies equally in the context of drug laws, policies and practices, and includes access to harm reduction services and drug dependence treatment. It is a great concern that we note that the demand for treating drug-related disorders remains largely unmet and that access to internationally controlled medicines for medical purposes, including the relief of pain and suffering, remains inadequate in many parts of the world, and that people who use drugs are still disproportionately affected by HIV-AIDS and other blood-borne infections. We are gathering today to move forward in the way we understand and analyze the multiple impacts posed by drugs globally. We must also continue to work our work with a more humane approach to respond to these challenges. In this regard, progress made progress means ending stigma and discrimination towards people who use drugs, and to ensure that every person in need has access to treatment and that their human rights are respected. 
we must work together to advance public health approaches in drug policies and accelerate the implementation of commitments made in line with the 2030 Agenda and the recommendations of UNGAS 2016. As we strive to implement all international drug policy commitments, drug-related policies and programs, we need also to mainstream a gender perspective and to ensure the involvement of women in all stages of development. These elements are critical steps in recognizing the rights and dignity of all people. We invite all the relevant stakeholders to contribute to addressing the common challenge we face. We stand ready to continue intensifying international cooperation and the exchange between member states, United Nations bodies, civil society and the scientific community to attain our common goal. Mr. Chair, as member states, we need to continue strengthening efficient and sustainable prevention efforts, starting with the root causes of drug use, focusing especially on those who are particularly vulnerable. This is also essential to have a better understanding of the social dimensions of the issue. In connection with this purpose, we will continue our unwavering efforts to confront organized drug crime and disrupt and dismantle decisively drug trafficking organizations in accordance with international human rights obligations. At the same time, we recall that to deter drug-related crimes, we require a vision that goes beyond repression-oriented perspectives, which has had a disproportionate implication and impact on specific groups, in particular young people, people of African descent, indigenous people, and women. We also reaffirmed that rebalancing repressive policies that have for so long affected farmers will indeed promote community development and generate economic alternatives. We firmly underscore that such a balance is in line with international drug policy commitments. Mr. Chair, previous intersessional meetings are a good example of a fruitful exchange, and we consider this format as an excellent opportunity to share knowledge, experience, and best practices that can contribute to accelerating the implementation of our shared commitments and to define a new approach in light of the realities and specific challenges that we all face. The only way we can manage the challenges in the global drug policy is by addressing them together. Finally, Mr. Chair, allow us to commend your efforts and leadership throughout this session, and we look forward to these discussions and the convening of the midterm review in 2024, which will be critical to achieve our common objective to leave no one behind. Thank you. I thank the distinguished permanent representative of Switzerland for his intervention on behalf of 47 countries, and now we will continue with our uh, program. That was the Swiss delegate addressing the UN Commission on Narcotic Drugs on October 23rd, the first day of an intersessional meeting to discuss the lack of progress being made to address various challenges in international drug control. Let's hear more. Here's the Bolivian delegate. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Excellencies and colleagues, good afternoon. The plurinational state of Bolivia has a comprehensive policy council as the highest agency for the approval monitoring and evaluation of Bolivia's policy for the control of illicit trafficking of controlled substances, excess of coca crops, and prevention of drug consumption within the framework of the three international drug control treaties. It promotes the Bolivian 2021-2025 strategy to combat illicit trafficking of controlled substances. This is a comprehensive plan to combat drug trafficking, which incorporates a focus on gender, human rights, 
and the environment, consisting on the following four key points. First, the control of the expansion of excess coca crops with a model of concertation, rationalization, and eradication. Second, the control of the illicit trafficking of controlled substances with the objective of dismantling criminal organizations dedicated to this crime. Third, regionalization of the fight against drug trafficking with the aim of consolidating a regional anti-narcotics intelligence center as an international organization. Fourth, design and implementation of a comprehensive policy for the prevention of drug use focused on the promotion of healthy lifestyles. Mr. Chair, in order to address the global drug problem and the regionalization of the fight against drug trafficking, Bolivia reiterates its commitment to interdiction of drug trafficking, control of chemical substances, prevention, treatment, rehabilitation and reintegration of people with addictions with a public health approach and gender complementarity. Bolivia also contemplates the use of new criminal investigation instruments and the new technologies and updates in the list of chemical precursors and controlled substances typified in the international control treaties. Regarding the control of the expansion of coca leaf crops in the Bolivian model of the nationalization of the fight against drug trafficking and integral development prevails dialogue, agreement, and respect for human rights and the dynamics of gender complementarity in the reduction of excess of coca leaf crops. As for the coca leaf in its natural state, Bolivia has a reservation to the 1961 convention that does not interfere in the use of the coca leaf for licit and cultural purposes. Because the honor of the Bolivian people lies in the defense of their culture and tradition, the, uh, the 2009 political constitution of the plurinational state of Bolivia mandates the obligation to protect the original and ancestral Inalmama, which is the essence and spirit of the coca leaf in its natural description. As our cultural heritage, the renewable natural resource of the Andean Amazonian biodiversity, and as the archetype of social cohesion in the struggle for a survival of indigenous people during centuries of oppression and colonial subjugation. Constitutionally, the Inalmama of the coca leaf in its natural state is not and cannot be considered a narcotic drug having traditional, ritual, medicinal, nutritional, and phytotherapeutic uses known for 5,531 years by the Tijuanacotas, Cayahuayas, Amazonian, and Guarani cultures. For Bolivia, the coca leaf in its natural state is an archetype of the culture of life, energetic balance, and sovereignty. Mr. Chair, the inclusion of the coca leaf in its natural state as a narcotic drug in the Schedule One of the 1961 Convention, as well as the obligation to abolish coca leaf chewing, constitutes an historical mistake and a colonistic uh, decision whose revision and reparation corresponds to the World Health Organization's Expert Committee on Drug Dependence, 
Research carried out between 1992 and 1995 within the framework of the study called Cocaine Project of the WHO and UNICRI has concluded with respect to the natural coca leaf that the consumption of coca leaves does not seem to have negative health effects and has a positive therapeutic, sacred and social functions among the Anian people. Political veto has prevented the publication of such a study and others of the natural coca leaf from a scientific, impelled and objective perspective. The Bolivian constitutional mandate to protect the honor of the archetype of the Inalmama, the cultural life of the coca leaf, means to fight for its decriminalization and destigmatization, which has been fabricated for more than six decades. Therefore, on June 29, 2023, the president of the plurinational state of Bolivia, Luis Alberto Arce Catacora, has sent to the Secretary General of the United Nations, Mr. Antonio Guterres, the request for a critical review of the classification of the coca leaf to resolve tensions over the use of the natural coca leaf from the scientific, legal, and historical perspective and for the construction of new principles that can be in balance with indigenous people. The plurinational state of Bolivia strives to implement and promote the industrialization of the coca leaf to show and share with the world its medicinal and nutritional benefits. And for this, the declassification of the coca leaf from Schedule 1 of the 1961 Convention on Narcotic Drugs is required. More coca leaf in its natural state for health and the cultural of life and less coca leaf for crime. Thank you very much. That was the Bolivian delegate at the U.N. Commission on Narcotic Drugs in Vienna addressing the CND on October 23rd at their intersessional meeting. We'll hear more in a moment. You're listening to Century of Lies. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. So let's hear more from that intersessional meeting. Here's the Colombian delegate, also on October 23rd. Colombia supported the statement read by Switzerland. As with respect to this challenge, we would like to add the following. One, coca cultivation is a manifestation of a lack of development. Thus, the drug problem is for us a development problem. Evidence two, evidence of the expansion of markets can also be seen in the destruction of the environment. Colombia is the world's most biodiverse country per square kilometer. We are facing environmental de- environmental devastation because of the drug economy and the market expansion in some regions like the Amazon Basin, where associated criminal activity to drugs, such as illegal logging, illegal mining, illegal land occupation, wildlife trafficking, are damaging the environment of the world's largest rainforest. Indigenous peoples and other ethnic minorities are suffering the consequences of this crime convergence, including displacement, mercury poisoning, and exposure to violence, particularly environmental defenders who are targeted by traffickers and armed groups. For us, the protection of the environment is also a development problem. And because the drug problem 
is a development challenge. We will no longer attack and persecute our farmers. We just adopted a new national drug policy with two pillars, one called oxygen, aim at ending the dependence of the population on the drug economy, as well as avoiding the criminalization of peasants. It is mainly focused on territories, communities, people, and the environment that have been proportionally affected by the expansion of the drug market. The second pillar, asphyxiation, is aimed at dismantling and reducing the influence and capacity of criminal organizations that profit from drug trafficking. Mr. Chair, taking into consideration the next session in March, and as we engage in this technical exercise, Colombia calls on the membership of the CN to turn the drug conventions into living documents. It is our duty to adapt them to the world, not to adapt the world to the conventions. Different interpretations of the conventions proliferate. Colombia believes that we need to face head on, head on the issue of the relevance of the conventions as they are written today. And we say all this because we believe we need an effective international legal regime for drugs. We also believe that if we keep giving our backs to the discussion of the relevance of the conventions, conventions to, today, to today's world, we will end up burying it. That was the Colombian delegate to the UN's Commission on Narcotic Drugs addressing the CND at its intersessional meeting on October 23rd. Now let's hear from some of the NGO representatives. First, here's Tuari Putiki, chair of the New Zealand Drug Foundation. Aotearoa New Zealand has a world-leading and hugely successful early warning system and legalized drug checking, which I'm going to speak to today. And yet even with that drug checking and early warning system, it feels as if we've put on life jackets and we're waiting for a tsunami to hit us. Waves of new synthetic drugs and exponential increases in the volume of drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine are already hitting our shores. This is tsunami is man-made. Who created it? The suppliers? Behind them is a global control system that's criminalised the supply and consumption of plant-based substances and incentivised the ongoing creation of new synthetic drugs. Global drug control has hindered and blocked indigenous access to plants such as opium and cannabis, and replaced them with synthetic man-made drugs like synthetic cannabinoids and fentanyl that cause huge amounts more harm. Thank you to the Office of Human Rights Council for its recent report for acknowledging the impact of the World Drug Control System on Indigenous people. Today I present New Zealand Drug Foundation, the Punafakiti Pa Mamai Kaifakapiri, and the New International Indigenous Drug Policy Alliance, who aim to grow Indigenous representation at CND. Indigenous people share a history of disconnection from our land, language, families and culture. And it's upon this devastation that the new illicit substance and the global drug control system have landed. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, the drug market is diversifying and increasing in supply and potency. We've seen increased adulteration and a rise in the prevalence of catenones, novel benzos, ketamine analogues, synthetic cannabinoids 
and novel synthetic opioids like nidazines. Drug checking or pill testing, as it's been called, has been fully legalised here for two years. Civil society organisations are licensed and funded to run static clinics and clinics at events. Police, customs, health and civil society groups work together to govern our early warning system. Our early warning system data sources include drug checking, wastewater, customs and police seizures and hospitalisation data. Added to this is information from frontline workers and people who use drugs themselves. We share information with the Australian Early Warning System. Our Early Warning System has needed to carefully build trust and safeguard the information we collect. It has to be used for health and harm reduction purposes only. Its success relies on trust. We've most certainly prevented fatalities, but we must do more to reform the global drug control system if we want to protect against novel synthetics. The global control system has failed and has actually increased the harm to our communities, most importantly to Indigenous communities. That was Tuari Patiki, chair of the New Zealand Drug Foundation. Now here's Nicholas Boyce from the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition and the Vienna NGO Committee. International drug control conventions were intended to protect the health and welfare of humankind. Unfortunately, they have worked against this. In Canada, they have created a context for mass death. A country of 38 million people, we currently have one of the world's most volatile and toxic illicit drugs markets. In six years, close to 40,000 humans died from opioid-related toxicity. We now average 21 deaths per day. An unintended but inevitable consequence of supply-side interventions is the expansion and diversification of novel, often more potent drugs. We prohibit one drug, another replaces it. We restrict precursors, but different formulas develop. UNODC documents now discuss banning pre-precursors. What will be next? Canada's drug laws are rooted in Eurocentric, colonial, racist, and classist ideals that specifically targeted Indigenous, Asian, and Black communities, communities now most impacted by the global war on drugs. In Canada, over the last decade, heroin has almost entirely been replaced by numerous fentanyl analogues. But fentanyl may not have proliferated had we sensibly regulated instead of prohibited heroin. Fentanyl is not inherently dangerous. It is used widely in human medicine. But in the unregulated market, dosage and purity are never assured. Prohibition and unregulated drugs are killing people. Beyond the deaths, there are thousands of hospitalizations, a growing cohort of people surviving with brain damage after non-fatal overdoses, and traditional opioid therapies such as methadone are less effective due to increased drug tolerance. People have to use fentanyl more frequently than with heroin. This increases the need for more income, and sometimes people resort to transactional sex or low-level crime. The chances of communicable infections increase too. People are consuming drugs that unknowingly contain multiple substances. Benzodiazepines and nitazine-type compounds now widely contaminate the supply, adding complications. The diversification of drugs has caused unprecedented mortality, negative health outcomes, and social impacts, creating an untenable sort of situation. It may sound incredible, but I wish we could go back to simply contending with heroin. Solutions to the world drug situation and Canada's toxic drug crisis require a shift away from the various harms of prohibition. We are apprehensive that the recently launched global coalition to address synthetic drug threats may further entrench enforcement responses and accelerate the range and diversification of drugs. We urge all member states and UN bodies to develop a new approach. The UN Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights calls for the consideration of responsible regulation, including a regulatory system for legal access to all controlled substances. This is desperately needed. 
That was Nicholas Boyce with the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition and the Vienna NGO Committee addressing the CND at its intercessional meeting on October 23rd. The next intercessional meeting will be from December 4th through 6th. These meetings are being live-streamed via the UN's primary media outlet, which is at media.un.org, which means that unlike in years past, archived copies of these meetings are being kept and made available to the public. You can find them by going to media.un.org and searching for the Commission on Narcotic Drugs. For now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. This has been Century of Lies. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Century of Lies is a volunteer production for community radio syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's audio port service. We'll be back in a week with 30 more minutes of news and information about drug policy and the failed war on drugs. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh asking you to examine our policy of drug prohibition, the Century of Lies. Drug Truth Network programs archived at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. Thank you.